The blind stares of a million pairs of eyes Looking hard but won't realize That they will never see the pea We're back, yes sir it's All Eyes on Cleveland, the podcast. I am your host, Brad Ward, here to bring you another terrific show, breaking down all things Browns, NFL, Cleveland sports. It's a show where we interview the most intriguing and intelligent people along the forefront of our sports landscape and bring all those interviews to you. You start getting excited. It's all eyes on Cleveland. Well done, Mikey, on the ones and twos over there across the glass. Social distancing, Mikey. Social distancing. You stay over there, I'll be over here. We'll be all right. This is All Eyes on Cleveland, the podcast. I'm your host, Brad Ward. Mikey's here with us, uh, taking care of the production side of things. You can catch this show where all popular podcasts are found. iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, Radio.com, and Google Play. Plus, we'll be published tomorrow morning. At USA Today Sports Media Groups, thebrownswire.com, where I write. And that's uh, that's that. Plus, you can always go to alleyesoncleveland.com, the website, which uh, we are working on making nicer by the day. But you can get all of the show news there. Uh, and, of course, uh, all of the shows themselves there. Uh, so... Uh, crazy weather last night in Northeast Ohio. Uh, you know, could just missed where I am here in the Akron area, heading a little bit south through the uh, Stark County. Seventy-five mile per hour winds. Uh, it was uh, it was wild. Hail, all kinds of craziness. Hope everybody's safe on the other side of things here this morning uh, and today. Uh, we have a special guest today on the show. His show, pardon me. His name is Shane Carter. Shane Carter writes for InsideTheStar.com, covering the Dallas Cowboys. Shane is a good friend of mine. He covered the Browns for a long time uh, for uh, Dog Pound Daily, I believe. Uh, and uh, we have a good uh, uh, interview with him today, and we're going to get right to that. A uh, little bit of uh, news today as the Browns, uh, with a little teaser on the uh, jersey, yeah, a little teaser oh, on the jersey, uh, just uh, uh, a uh, orange hue and then uh, as you break it down second by second you see some players there uh, all players of uh, another generation uh, Eric Metcalf is in there my favorite of all time uh, Clay Matthews is in there of course Jim Brown uh, but you're talking uh, white on brown white on white brown on white uh, jerseys as it is a uh, tease to the jersey reveal which should, should come next week so not oh, not quite a leak or anything like that but uh, a little bit of a teaser there and uh, we can uh, talk about that more uh, here on the show but first and foremost I do want to get you to this uh, interview uh, with Shane Carter and uh, he does a good job here today breaking things down on the NFL as a whole as we kind of get into the season timelines with COVID-19 uh, the virtual draft the virtual off-season programs uh, a little bit about Dak Prescott's contract controversy and uh, and then into the Browns and what he thinks uh, lie ahead for uh, the Cleveland 
Brown. So um, without any further ado, let's uh, bring in Shane Carter here and myself uh, in an interview that we just did moments ago. I hope you enjoy. Uh, We'll be back after that. Don't go anywhere to finish up the show, cover a couple more things. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland, the podcast. I'm Brad Ward. This is the interview with Shane Carter from InsideTheStar.com. On All Eyes on Cleveland podcast uh, hotline, today we bring in our very special guest, Shane Carter. Shane Carter, uh, at Shane Carter TX on Twitter. Uh, He is a writer at uh, InsideTheStar.com, covering the Dallas Cowboys. Welcome to the show, Shane. Uh, Good to finally get you on, uh, as we have uh, kind of been in touch online, but uh, it's good to finally uh, hear your voice and uh, get to talk some football with you today. Happy to be here, man. How you doing down there? We're hanging in there. Strange times we're living in, you know? Strange times. Uh, Yeah, uh, I... uh... I've watched so many replays of games that uh, I already know the end result, but every now and then you still get frustrated that they didn't do what, you, what they probably should have done. You know, you know what's going to happen anyway. But you know how that is. <laughs> definitely, definitely, uh, definitely uh, frustration uh, watching uh, stuff back uh, again, reminded of uh, mistakes and things like that. Uh, certainly part of watching those games back. Uh, so uh, you are uh, covering the Cowboys. Um, and, uh, is that before, uh, let me just kind of ask you this, just kind of give me your, uh, your history here of kind of like writing for the NFL. Have you written for any other teams? Is it, have you always been a Cowboys guy? Well, I guess to answer that last question, the Cowboys are my favorite team, but ever since I started writing, I have to be a lot more objective about who I write for. First team I wrote for was actually, uh, Cleveland Browns for Dog Pound Daily. Yeah, I wrote with, I wrote with a lot of guys like uh, Randy Gersey and uh, and Tom Moore and and uh, I got my start there. For a few months, I worked with uh, with the Indiana Indiana sports coverage, okay. and I worked for the Colts. And that one was mostly focused on the draft before the site uh, site basically imploded on itself. Like it's, it's no longer around. It was around for a bit, and it's actually some of my, some of my best articles on that got featured on Bleacher Report. And yeah. that's where I got a lot more notoriety. And I started uh, when I followed this guy John Williams for Inside the Star. I uh, I got the hookup through him, uh, uh, so, so to speak. And I've been writing for the Cowboys now for about two years now. Uh, and it's uh, it's been a little more fun. It, it's hard being a, being a writer for the Cowboys because I love them, but I'm also like probably the their biggest critic. Yeah. But I try and be I try and be as fair as possible. Yeah. Well, it's, it's difficult, uh, thin line, certainly. There, uh, I knew you wrote for the Browns. Obviously, I just kind of wanted to uh, get your uh, get your story there on how you got to Inside the Star. Congrats on that and everything, and everything you're doing over there. So uh, we're happy to have you on. Um, so I'm going to get right to it with you, though, uh, as far as the Cowboys go. Uh, so Jack Prescott um, was. Uh, uh, franchise tag for what twenty six point nine million dollars on March sixteenth is yet to sign right. that franchise tag, um, and uh, it appears that they are they have come to sort. He's hoping to work out a long term deal, um, and it's it's years, isn't it? Is it years on the deal that they're that they're kind of going back and forth on? Well, reportedly, the uh, the uh, the preferred option for Dak is to go the Russell Wilson route, do short-term contracts, get more guarantee up front, so they can get more contracts down the line. If you remember, as Russell West, Russell Wilson, uh, his first contract was four years, his mm-hmm. second contract was four years, but each time it, it always uh, was either set the market or among the highest-paid quarterbacks in the league. Dak wouldn't from what we're hearing, it wasn't necessarily how much per year it was that he wanted more guaranteed money than uh, than guys like Jared Goff and Carson Wentz guys. He felt that he outperformed mm-hmm. as far as, as far as like the, the report saying he wanted 40 mil a year, you know, at the time when it first came out, you know, that was, you know, probably not true as it gotten closer and closer and the, 
market's gotten higher and higher and demand's gotten higher and higher. We could be looking at him getting maybe not quite 40, but 36, 37 a year. And, you know, if we look in a, in a year or two from now, if he were to sign that, that would actually be a lot cheaper than what the market's going to set with the guys like Baker Mayfield, Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, all of her contract extensions. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, so let me ask you this, because the opinions on Dak Prescott, Shane, they, they certainly vary, uh, uh, you know, across all the talking heads. Um, I know how I feel about him. Where, like, if you were to rank, to, to rank Dak and you've watched him more than, than I have, uh, where would you put him as far as, like, a, a quarterback in the league right now? Is he top five, top ten? Uh, to you, uh, a top ten quarterback in the league? He is a top ten quarterback. I, I firmly believe that. As far as top five goes, that's hard to determine because, you know, whenever you talk about top five, you're essentially saying he's better than these guys. Who am I taking out? The right. only the, the only definitive top five top five quarterbacks that everyone can agree on is Russell Wilson and Pat Mahomes. Those are the only guys you ask anyone who the top five is. Those are the only guys that everyone could probably come to terms on. I'm comfortable putting him in the top ten as far as where, uh, where in the top ten that that might change. Yeah, I, I mean I'm pretty high on him at this point. I mean, my thing, he's done everything they've asked, right? I mean, he's right. done everything they've asked. He's played really well. Uh, you know, even in like a prove it year like this year, uh, I have him. You know, just outside of the top five certainly uh, worthy of the contract, and it's unfortunate that they're kind of jerking him around. They can, I wish they would get something done for him. I mean, he's earned it, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, it's, you know, you know Jerry, oh, everyone, everyone really knows Jerry, that whenever he wants a player, he's going to get him signed. You know, if he doesn't want them, or if he or if he's trying to lowball them, it's basically a sign saying he's either not going to be back, or or, or he's just he's just gonna go somewhere else, and he, and that was the whole plan the whole time. Mm-hmm. I think I think I think I think this is the one time that Jerry, I shouldn't say one time. This is the most recent time in, in memory we can remember where Jerry doesn't have all the leverage in this, because people will say that that people have said that Dak Prescott doesn't deserve as much money, mm-hmm. but to those same to those same people, I refer to them that you know Jimmy Garoppolo got was at one time the highest paid player in the league after six starts to San Francisco and no one said anything. Yeah. At one at one point, uh, just last year, Carson Wentz got his extension. This is before his last year. And I think really he got uh, Carson Wentz got paid out twenty seventeen. When the reality is is he was paid from his rookie year to his third year. And if you look at him as a whole, he had he didn't go to the Super Bowl. He didn't play in the playoffs. That was all Nick Foles. So Dak Prescott through three years did more than Carson Wentz. So at the very least, you could say as a quarterback, Dak was better as a quarterback than Carson Wentz. You look at guys like Jared Goff. At one time that, con- that last year, that contract looked pretty good because of Sean McVay. And this past year, Jared Goff, he just he didn't look that good. He didn't look the same guy. Great. I think uh, defense is trying to figure him out, or at least figure out that offense. And uh, if you look at quarterbacks like, uh, let's, let's say Derek Carr. Derek Carr is kind of like a you either love either love him or you hate him kind of quarterback. I think he's, uh, he's underrated. I think. John Gruden's doing a good job of giving him an offensive line and weapons to work with, but it's uh, but he's also a guy that he, he uh, that people thought they were, that uh, that he might have been overpaid at the time, and now he's coming up on another contract at the end of this year, and so yeah. and so really, I think when it comes to Dak Prescott, I think it more has to do with the brand than anything else. If he had done what he has done as a quarterback, but it had been for a lower franchise like let's say the Detroit Lions or the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, we wouldn't be having this discussion. He would be making, you know, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers money like nothing. But because of no the Cowboys, he's being talked – he has to be talked among legacy guys like Troy Aikman and Roger Staubach. And that's not necessarily his fault because if you look at his first four years in the league, he's not only defied expectations as a fourth-round pick, but he's set new ones every year. I no think – uh, I think I think when people – another reason we will not like him is because he's a fourth-round pick and because, you know, he didn't have that first-round pick pedigree. People expect first-round pick quarterbacks to do well. 
And when you're picked outside the first round and you exceed those expectations, you know, for some reason, as, as, as harshly criticized as you were going into the draft, you're harsher, you're even more harshly criticized once you're picked because now you have to keep doing it every single year. Otherwise, people will say, oh, I was right. I was right with this guy all along. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. Interesting, interesting stuff, and quite the a little, quite the dilemma there. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Certainly, we know he'll, get, you know, he'll get signed and everything. It's odd uh, because we'll talk more about this later. But it's odd because it's like a a virtual. They're going to go into like a virtual pre, you know, uh, off season program, uh, you know, and how much did he participate in that, et cetera. I mean, he's not signed to a contract, but technically he's not supposed to at this point. So there's kind of a lot of gray area there, first time stuff, you know what I mean? So that'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I, I know he's been working out with uh, Des Bryant. Uh, I know Bryant would love to be signed by the Cowboys. How, where do you stand on that, Shane? Well, when he was released, uh, over a year ago, I was for it because he hadn't been playing up to his contract was uh, was signing him at, or his contract was uh, was picking him at. His contract was saying he's one of the best shooters in the game, and he hadn't been that way since before he signed that contract. Mm-hmm. So I so I was all for that. But then you see the reports of him working out, him running routes a lot. But he's he's a uh, new dimension to his game. He's changing the way he plays, similar to the way you know Leifert Gerald switched from the outside to the slot. I think he's trying to do that kind of transition. And, you know, with everything that's going on COVID-19 and stopping people from working out with their teammates and OTAs are likely to get canceled, I would actually be okay with them bringing it back on a one-year deal similar to what they had with Alden Smith. Like, the incentives can make it as much as 4 or $5 million a year. And just just because if you're going into a season where not everyone's going to get as much work together, you'd like your quarterback to have a trio of receivers that he has familiarity with. So if you go into the season with, Des, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup as your starting three receivers, and and Prescott has familiarity with them and he's comfortable with them, then then that that should be the, that should be the plan. Yeah, uh, and and that that actually brings me to to another question. Um, certainly, the Cowboys are sort of in a position. I mean, they have a new head coach, and, and you can kind of give me your thoughts on on you know Mike McCarthy and everything. But as far as that goes. And, you know, team advantages with the way this thing is going to play out with COVID-19 and everything, we don't know how long of a, of a uh, you know, um, preseason uh, they're going to have, preseason games, uh, how much uh, if they're going to have camp, you know, four weeks, two weeks, six weeks, we have no idea. Um, Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers, teams like that that are bringing back like 98% of their roster and their coaching staff are at a huge advantage uh, going into this season. Where you look at teams like, you know, the Browns, which we're going to get a little bit more into here in a minute, uh, you know, new head coach, two new coordinators, uh you know, Baker Mayfield has never even really had time last year with his wide receivers because they, they weren't on the field in the preseason. There's just a lot of advantages for teams that have some continuity going into this. Would you not agree? No, I totally do. And especially a year, like you said, like with the Cleveland, with the Browns, they have a new coach themselves. You're going into a year, you're going into a first year head coach with your team. You need as much time with those players and, and the staff as possible. And so not only is it, is it, are, you, are you a step behind, teams already have the same coach staff coming back. It's actually a, this is like a step two or three steps behind because not only can you not work out with them, you can't meet the new players, you can't work, get to know the new players. So by the time the season rolls around September, you're, 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 uh, you're, you're looking at teams who have like an established coaching staff in there as the favorites, whether they're the most talented rosters or not, just based on familiarity. No question. You know, uh, another struggle probably teams that are going to start first-time quarterbacks, right? I mean, that's going to be a disadvantage, I would think, for certain teams. Yeah, and, you know, it it comes to mind that uh, I would have preferred some of these uh, teams that need a a quarterback in the top ten to go out for veteran quarterbacks like a Teddy Bridgewater. I think Carolina had the – had the right idea of signing their guy and keeping their first-round pick for a different need. 
because you know they went they went out there and got the quarterback. They 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 uh they signed the number two receiver and Robbie Anderson. They've got they've got their trio receivers. They got their quarterback. If you know the quarterback, you know then in a time with uh, with his weapons, he's already established enough in the league to know what to do. You bring a rookie in there, he can't even like go in there and meet meet his teammates, work with his teammates. So that right. puts them that puts them already at an already bigger disadvantage. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see how all that comes about for sure. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland podcast. Our special guest today, Shane Carter, writing for InsideTheStar.com uh, and a friend of uh, mine online used to write for the Browns. Uh, talking Cowboys, talking NFL uh, season timelines a little bit here with the strange. Uh, uh, COVID-19 season uh, that we're going to face here. Uh, do you think, I mean, I know you're not a scientist or anything like that, but your feel on things, just, you know, best guess, what is the most amount of weeks you think a team would need uh, to be ready? Uh, like four, six, I mean, some people have said even, you know, two. Um, I think that's insane. But, like, and then you're saying, you know, uh, do you think we see a shortened season or do you think they'll get all games in? Well, it's crazy to think they want a shortened season after they just approved the 17-game season, isn't it? Yeah, uh, right. I, I think uh, I think as far as, like, prep time, yeah, two weeks is too soon, especially if you think about, you know, high school and colleges, they start practicing for their season at least three weeks early, and that's, and that's like, a, that's a step or two below. The NFL, they've had this whole time to get their bodies right, but they would have to like get themselves in playing mode, like all like almost almost in a jiffy. So I would think you would need at least a month, mm-hmm. at the very least, at the very least, just to get yourself back. Not just not, and not just in like workout shape if you haven't been working out, but in playing shape. And that's just on a low end. So I think yeah, I think you're right. I think a month minimum to start off with. And even if it means shortening the season, then that's what it means. Yeah, I agree. It's good. it's kind of bonkers too. Like you mentioned about you know going to 17 next year with the games, uh, but even this year, say they play 12 or 14 games, and then they have seven, and then they have added two extra playoff games. It's kind of crazy, right? Um, Joe Thomas, uh, former uh, left tackle, Hall of Fame, going to be Hall of Fame uh, left tackle for the Browns, I heard today, Shane, say that Mm -hmm. he thought that, 15, one five, fifteen percent of the NFL players are uh, probably in uh, the shape they need to be at this point. You know, NFL that was, players, that's especially a staggering yeah, number to me. NFL players are pretty smart about keeping in shape over the off season, so that when they get into the actual practices, they're not hit by a wall. Yeah, you know, they want to stay. They want to stay in as much physical peak condition as they can. So by the time practice rolls around, you know, they, they haven't missed a step. So I think and – and, you know, talking about Joe Thomas, he is – he's the he's only second to Jim Brown in terms of the players the Browns love the most in terms of their history probably. I yeah. think that uh, – I think in terms of, like, the entire NFL, he's one of the greatest t- tackles of all time. I think he would know out of anybody how well players keep themselves conditioned. Yeah. The, the only issue I have that with, with what I'm saying is that it's only 15%. If only fifteen percent of players are keeping themselves condition uh, uh, physically ready, um, especially knowing what uh, that the season can start later or the the practice times shorter, just to get us everyone get everyone uh, caught up, then that's an issue. It's, that's that means a the pro- that means issue. That, means, that means the product's going to suffer, and either a team that, that that was supposed to win it all, be able to compete for be able to compete for it all, is going to co- cost their team a win. Or something that costs us over a contract. It's just not a good look, especially with the NFL, who is man America's pastime, but it's become America's best friend. No, uh, no doubt. You know, think of the injury possibilities, everything with that. I was just right. taken back by that number. He kind of said he's like, you know, NFL players really value that time after the season to just, you know, go into vacation mode. And he's like, I can't imagine that with this situation that many of them have come out of that mode yet. Um, which I thought was I was I was surprised at. I kind of thought that guys would be 
working out on their own at this point and things like that. Not that they're not, but just, like, to get into the shape that they need to be in for camp. Like, I mean, the Browns would have gotten a, a, uh, a Shane a extra OTA because of the new head coach. They would already have been, had an OTA uh, um, Monday, I believe it was. So, um, yeah, and, really uh, a step behind. Yeah, they're they're real, they really are a step behind. So, so uh, Roger Goodell uh, comes out and, and says we're going to do the virtual draft. You know, we're not going to put people in war rooms together. We're going to hook everything up techno- technology wise inside your house, um, and and uh, uh, basically Zoom meeting everything, right? So this is going to make for an interesting draft, certainly. Um, any thoughts on, on that? Uh, and any disadvantages that you can think of that that immediately brings up for you? Well, the immediate disadvantage I think of is because is that the war room gave you the opportunity to have not only the owner in there, but the GM, the coaches, the coordinators, the scouts, everyone you needed in the room could all be in there. And now you're now you're saying everyone got spread out. Mm-hmm. So you're hope you're hoping that the computer doesn't crash or it doesn't get. Uh, some people were talking about uh, these uh, Zoom meetings that they're going to get hacked. Gonna, you're getting hacked, right? And it's going to mess up their draft strategy. See, I, that's why I think that if they're going to do this, I liked uh, Adam Schefter's idea of having each round each day. But I would also go one step further and make each make each pick five minutes longer, so you had time to phone call everybody in case you didn't trust mm-hmm. this or just because of te- technology issues. This is going to be a tough draft, and uh, I actually wrote about this last week that all the disadvantages that that, that uh, COVID nineteen is bringing. The biggest one is the idea that we can't that people can't be around each other. Mm-hmm. We're, we're trusting we're trusting uh, the phones and computers to not only work but to also not get hacked, like you said. To make to, to make sure that like our draft strategy and our, and everything doesn't like fall fall out of place. I yeah. uh, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how this looks, especially after the reported uh, they're gonna do like a dry run, a mock draft, the first round to make sure everything works. One thing I do know is is uh, the the sporting world has been creating sports since all the leagues shut down essentially. So even though this draft format is gonna be not as exciting. There's not gonna be fans. There's not gonna be live from Vegas. I was planning on going. I can't go now. I think even still, it's gonna kill the ratings. I think people are gonna be tuned in. I think they're gonna be watching as if it, as if it would have uh, a thousand people in attendance or more. I think the ratings are gonna the ratings are gonna be fine. As a matter of fact, I think they'll skyrocket. I yeah. just don't know how well of a product they're gonna put out. Yeah, I, I mean it'll be it's gonna be insane. I would think the TV ratings just because there's nothing else. There has been nothing else, and people crave it. Just think about. I mean, when they made the decision, Shane, not to move back free agency. I mean, you look at the attention free agency got. Right, it was such a breath of fresh air just to be able to talk right. about football. Right. Um, it was interesting. You mentioned the Zoom hacks, and I kind of laugh at that a little bit. I know John Harbaugh mentioned it that he was worried about that and stuff. They have to have uh, – there There has to be technology-wise a way to protect themselves uh, from that. And, you know, like some of these people mentioning that, you know, in talking with their families, people reported being hacked and stuff. I think that's just a lack of maybe not knowing technology, um, you know, uh, all the way to the point that I'm sure the experts can can protect these teams from that. I don't I don't see that as big of a concern as maybe they do, but I know that <laughs> of course NFL guys like that are gonna be super paranoid. Everybody always trying to get an edge, right? So um, that's interesting, and it'll be certainly the draft will be interesting. Uh, speaking of the draft, real quick on the Cowboys, they pick at 17. Uh, right? Am I correct on that? Yep, 17. Okay, 17. Uh, what's their biggest need there? Uh, I, what do you What do you want there? What's your best case scenario there? Uh, well, there's. I'll give you three. The three biggest needs are two in the secondary. One is at safety next to Xavier Woods, and the other one would be a cornerback, especially after that Byron Jones walking for agency and move. I still am irritated about, but I'm gonna. Keep yeah. those words keep those words off air. <laughs> um, and the other need would be 
I, I would probably say that the right defensive end. I know uh, there's reports that Randy Gregory, who's been suspended so often for substance abuse, as well as the, uh, is probably coming back as well as Alden Smith, the one-year deal. Yeah. Who, 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 in a similar situation, uh, suspended for substance abuse, hadn't played in four years. Uh, the thing is, those two guys are both free agents after this year. If you, if you look outside of them, you have Demarcus Lawrence, who's still one of the best edge rushers in the league. That's fine. After him, you have Dorrance Armstrong, who's more of a rotational piece. You have Tyron Crawford, who's probably best suited to move inside but can play on the outside edge. So I would say that they need a right defensive end, they need a, a number one cornerback, and they need a safety. Uh, a lot of the favorites uh, at 17 I'm hearing are either Florida cornerback C.J. Henderson and LSU defensive end, uh, defensive end Caleb Munchason. And mm-hmm. that those those are the two most reported names that I'm hearing. Uh, obviously, I have, I have my opinions on who I like. Um, Who's that? If you well, had your if you had your uh your your choice of it of players, who would you, who would you want that realistically I would go and I spell go G E A U X with Chasen. I just think as far as those two go those two are, I would rather have Chasen at end than I would rather have Henderson at cornerback. I know a lot of people are high on Henderson, but I think a lot of it had to do with how he fits at the combine and his size. He's about six one, six two, two ten. I'm not against big corners, but if you, but uh, I'll be honest with you. I saw four other cornerbacks I'd rather have ahead of him, and I'm playing among the minority. Again, I'm not saying I'm right, but I I just don't know if I would take him at that spot. I understand the need. I understand that if he's there, you take him, but he's not my preferred pick. I I think Chasen is a better value at, at edge rusher, and I think he has a higher upside for his position for where he's at, especially pairing him up with Demarcus Lawrence. I like the idea of him, Lawrence, and the edge, and you have the new signing of Don Terry Poe and Jerome McCoy in the middle for a nice, uh, solid front four. Yeah, I like those signings. Uh, uh, they've done well with free agency for the most part. I know you mentioned uh, the um, – what's the corner's name you said that walked? Didn't he go to Miami? Byron Jones, yeah, he, uh, he signed a deal with Miami and made himself the highest paid cornerback in the league. Good for him. I'm happy for him. I'm all about players. Uh, uh, getting paid. I'm all about them getting getting the money now, so they have money later. I have no issue with it. I wish them well. I just wish that they wouldn't have been the Cowboys or something. Yeah. But again, I'm I'm gonna keep my feelings off uh off air because if I don't, I'm gonna start cussing. <laughs> all right, feel free, feel free. Uh, so uh, you are listening to All Eyes on Cleveland special guest Shane Carter. Yo yo. Follow Shane on Twitter at Shane Carter. TX and uh, he writes for InsideTheStar.com covering the Dallas Cowboys. Used to cover the Brownies. We're swing towards the Browns now. Uh, Stefanski uh, is the Browns' hire head coach. First impressions of him for you? You know, I thought it was interesting that uh, that they would even leave, that they would fire Freddie Kitchens one year into his coaching career. I mean, into his head coaching career. I thought that was kind of premature. But then they went and fired, you know, John Dorsey too, which mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of. I know, I know a lot of fans liked him. I liked the moves he made. I love the moves he made because it's saying each year he's trying to win. He's signing all these players. He's drafting all the best players. He's filling filling all the holes as he goes. I was a fan of his. But I was a little surprised they let both of them go. As far as he goes. Uh, you know, he's basically run everything in the offense for Minnesota. He coached there for about a decade and a half. He mm-hmm. coached quarterbacks, tight ends, running backs, linemen. Uh, he was a coordinator. Uh, he, was, he was a coordinator last year, and he's mm-hmm. also like the. I think he's the interim one also at the end of 2018. And so you and so I, you, know, you see what he can do with uh, with Kirk Cousins, a new offensive line, two tight ends, and two solid receivers. Not even the Diggs has gone to Buffalo, and assuming. That the, that the Browns can find their wide receiver three opposite Odell Beckham and a left tackle. You know, you look at this Browns offense, it could be even better, hypothetically, than uh, than what he had in Minnesota. So I like the idea. I like the move in terms of personnel and how it meshes. But, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save my criticism to see how well they do after the draft. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I was um... – 
not high on it at first because I felt like uh, with Paul D. Podesta and things like that, it was kind of a rigged or a little bit of a farce uh, of a coaching search considering he's a finalist last year. He was D. Podesta's guy last year. D. Podesta won the coaching search. I mean, you could have known it was Stefanski from the beginning, right? So uh, I just kind of felt like that was kind of fixed uh, for him to get the job. However, he has impressed. He seems very organized. He seems professional. He seems like he will be like the adult in the room, which certainly the Browns have been missing, right? Um, so we'll see how he does with that. I like the offense that he runs, definitely. And I think that it will help Baker. Is this, in your opinion, is this Baker's last chance? If you're the Browns, the front office, you know, and I like Dorsey too, Shane, uh, a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. But Dorsey's gone, the guy that drafted Baker. Uh, so you're looking at, you know, uh, Andrew Barry now and, and whoever else that they have uh, in the front office there. Looking at Baker, he's not protected as much as he would have been if Dorsey was still there. Um, is this your last chance to turn it around after a down year last year? And do you think that he, we, we, we will see a better Baker Mayfield this year? Well, I wouldn't think it would be fair to be his last chance. He's only been in the league for two years, and this is his fourth head coach. If you think about it, his first head coach, his coach was Hugh Jackson. Half of the year, they go Greg Williams. Then they go Freddie Kitchens last year, and they go Kevin Stefanski. Yeah, he had four. He's had four different guys in his ear telling him what to do. I'd, uh, I think, I, th- I think I don't think it's fair that it, that if he if he has a similar season to last year that they move on after this year. But it would be understandable, especially when we think about like the talent they have on the offensive and defensive side. That if they realize this quarterback can't get it done with who with who we got, we got to move on. That's just the that's the nature of the business. I uh, I do think though that. At the very least, Baker is set up uh, with, with what he's got. You know, you look, you look at his running backs. He's got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, who could be a possible trade piece. You know, you never know. Uh, they had to do whole fullback Andy Janovich, who's a great blocker. They got a good one-two punch of receiver with with uh, Landry and OBJ. They got probably my favorite offseason assignment for the Browns and Austin Hooper. And you got the return of David Njoku. You got pretty much all the spots in the offensive line filled up except the left tackle, but they're they're picking at 10, and they're, probably, they're going to get somebody good. It, yeah. It's going to happen. And then you look at the pieces on defense, and they can fill a couple holes there. And maybe maybe not necessarily a starter, but some with death pieces. You know, if he, he has to be closer to rookie year Baker than last year Baker. If he can go out there and he throws only 25 touchdowns, but still more than last year, but if he's able to cut his interceptions down to, you know, closer to he, he's 14 as a rookie, he throws maybe 12, he throws 25 touchdowns, 25 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, maybe just under 4,000 yards passing again, then then they could probably still work with that. But if he goes out there and does just as bad or worse as he was last year, and they've revamped his offense for him, I could see I could see why they would move on from him. Again, I don't think it would be necessarily fair because that would be his fourth head coach in three seasons. But, you know, that's the nature of the business. Yeah, it absolutely is. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. It is the nature of the business. And, and uh, you know, I think that they would look, um, if he struggled again, I think they would look into it. Uh, you know, maybe, like, he might, you know, at least at least would be put in a quarterback competition, I think. Um, but it, it, I think we see a better Baker Mayfield. Uh, I think Stefanski's offense lends itself to Baker's strengths. Uh, and I think we see a new bounce back here from him, uh, especially with the upgrade in the offensive line. Um, some A little bit of a dilemma last year, Shane, and kind of get your thoughts on this, is that Jarvis and, and uh, Odell um, weren't around in the off-season program. Uh, Jarvis mostly due to injury. OBJ wasn't at OTAs, which is, you know, par for the course. But even once training camp started, he was dinged with the groin that they we found out later that they were both played injured all year, right? Um, mm-hmm. And what we saw was Mayfield take endless reps with fringe 
roster guys, at wide receiver guys that didn't make the team or, or contribute, right? So what a waste! What a waste of reps! What a waste of insult! What a waste of time! Right? When you're not doing it with anybody that can contribute. So my dilemma is, I feel like they're both coming off a of surgery again. Whenever you do get into camp, uh, I would like to see the the Browns uh, in a deep wide receiver class at least go get somebody uh, in the middle rounds there that they feel like can contribute um, and then maybe add somebody else in free agency before they get into camp that they, that they like um, that so that you're not talking about guys that are looking at getting cut running all your reps uh, in the off season. Does that make sense uh, to you? Uh, You think that they may take a shot there at a wide receiver. I think they need to add some depth there. Oh, they absolutely do. Uh, I mean, think about it. You know, you, you look at their top seven receivers last year. Only two of them were receivers. That's Landry and Beckham. After that, it was the running backs, Hunt and Chubb, and they also had the tight ends, uh, Ricky Seals Jones and Demetrius Harris. Both are both are gone. Mm-hmm. And so, and they're talking about this year's draft, a receiver draft, being similar to the one that OBJ and Landry came out of. And that draft, in the first three rounds, I think twenty three or twenty four receivers were taken in the first three rounds. So I'd expect something similar to that to, to happen this year. And there's going to be plenty of receivers out there for the take. And even if the Browns don't go receiver in the first or even the second round, there's going to be quality receivers in the third. Yeah. Especially, if you think, especially if you think about that they already have a number one and number two receiver in Landry and Beckham. They really just need a third guy to take pressure off of. They don't need to reach for a Jerry Judy. They don't need to go after, uh, you know, a Henry Ruggs or a CeeDee Lamb or something like that. They don't need to go for Jordan Jeff- Justin Jefferson unless, you know, that's the, they're all in on the offense. Yeah, I think it, I think if they wanted to, they could use their first two picks on their true posi- true positions of need, and wait to the third or possibly even fourth uh, round to pick a receiver. Because you know if you if you look behind them, their receivers are like guys like Damian Riley, who's who's got 25 catches in two years. He's more of a special team guy. You know they got they got they got the Taiwan Taylor they traded from uh, Tennessee last year. They got Kadero Hodge. So. Yeah. You know, these guys, Special teams. Yeah, these guys, especially these players, guys who will fill the fill the need. They'll they'll, they'll go out there and they'll they'll make a catch if they have to, but they're not little threats up top. You when you want a third receiver, you want a guy who you can depend on. You know, within when they had Antonio Callaway, that's what they had, but they just couldn't depend depend on him off the field. Yeah. On the field he was on the field he was fine. Yeah. So if you could find someone, you know, like a, let's say a Michael Pittman out of USC or a uh, Brian Edwards out of South Carolina in the third or possibly fourth round, you know, then you got someone who can take the pressure off of two stars, especially since Baker seems to have like a, a friendship with both of them, has a connection with both of them. It, it, it gives them, it gives those guys less, less pressure off of them. And two, it opens up the possibilities to spread the ball around the way Baker likes to do it. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, that's good. You know, I'm glad you gave a couple names there. That's that's awesome. Uh, I appreciate that. And then also, though, you know, and like I said, doubling back, even even if they're not, you know, huge contributors because this offense doesn't use, you know, it's not like they use a lot of three wide receiver sets, but, you know, um, contributing when they are on the field, but, more so just having somebody that you expect to be around long term in your in your camp, right? When these guys aren't gonna be on the field. Uh you've gotta get Baker the opportunity to work with players that aren't actually gonna be here, in my opinion. Right. And also if you look at like his his time at Oklahoma when he was his last year's Oklahoma especially and his first year in Cleveland, he didn't have as heavy of a wide receiver drop-off as he did last year. He liked to spread the ball around evenly. Last year, you know, the guys with the most catches were Jarvis and Odell Beckham, and they had 150, almost 160 catches among them. The third leading receiver on the team was Kareem Hunt, and he missed the first four games of the year. Incredible, That tells you, you, one, how much he depended on those two guys, and two, how how much they just didn't have that third guy to to help spread the ball around. He was at Oklahoma. Yeah. He he had Hollywood Brown, uh, Mark Andrews, C.D. Lamb. He had guys he could spread the ball around to all over the field. Whereas now he's looking at 
he's looking for 13 and he's looking for 80. He's looking for these guys every single time because that's only that's only people can depend on. Yeah, you know, I think he the Browns had their guy there in Richard Higgins. Um, yep. Yep. And he just got in. He got in the doghouse with with uh, Freddie, and Freddie never let him out, and it 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 hurt the team. Uh, it really did uh, because that was a guy that 100% had a uh, a connection. With Mayfield for sure. What you liked about him was that he was able to move in the slot whenever Callaway was out there, and whenever they got rid of Callaway, he was able to move outside and allow Landry to stay in the slot full time, and it gave you a much better trio of receivers. But you're right; once he had that uh, falling out with Freddie, the offense suffered, and no you know, and, and then they just and then he, all Baker could do was look for his two his two main guys. Yeah, I think it helps though if if, if uh, David Joker comes back healthy. And they have he has a brand new tight end Austin Hooper who is let's face it Austin was one of the top five best tight ends in the game. I think that's definitely gonna help the passing game out. But you know you and I are on the same page here. They don't need to necessarily reach high for a wide receiver three, but they do need better than what they got. I don't want to go out there uh, game one with the Browns and have Beckham and Landry as my one two and my number three be someone like Kadero Hodge. No offense. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly what I was saying. Um, so, uh, good stuff uh, there, Shane. Uh, Donovan Olumba, I hope I said that right, cornerback uh, is signed. Uh, one of the Browns, Browns uh, on the defense side of the ball through a lot of one-year darts in free agency. Uh, one of them is him. He's 24 years old. He was on the Dallas practice squad. What can you tell us about him uh, and and what can we expect uh, from him um, on the Browns, uh, or do you think he'll probably end up on their practice squad too? You know, I, I was a big fan of his when the Cowboys got him. Both uh, preseasons that he played in, he was actually one of the better corners to play, and I understand not a lot of the stars play. A lot of those guys who are out there who are free agents, undrafted free agents, they go out and they're trying to hard to earn a job. I thought Donovan alone, but both years earned a job. But, you know, both times he did the practice squad. We didn't really see him play until the end of last year. But he only played in the one game, and that was like in a rotation as a backup. That was against the Redskins in a meaningless game. What you get in him is you got a guy who's really good at man coverage, and he's actually he's actually like a little bigger than the cornerbacks you got there. You know, uh, the Browns' best corner is uh, Denzel Ward. Mm-hmm. But he's at like he's a he's a good solid size. He's about what six foot six one, two hundred, two hundred five. You know he's a he's a he's I guess you call it a regular size corner. He's not big. He's not small. He's a regular size corner. Alumba is about six to probably close to two fifteen. You know you look at him, you think he plays safety, but no, he's a, he's a, he's a really good man corner, and he's actually really good at tackling. What I guess probably what hurt him was is if you look at him play, he he can get he can get beat if he's beat off the line. Because he has a lot more game speed than down the field speed, but if you if your guy gets second level, that's probably what hurt him. So that's so uh, I think with him, he's definitely gonna have a shot, especially if you look at the Browns' cornerback roster. Like outside their top four guys, there's like six guys fighting for one or two spots. I think the Lumbas has a good chance of it. I think you would agree that Warden Williams is the only locks really among their cornerbacks to get a job. But I'm not gonna say Lumbas gonna get it. But I'm rooting for him, and I think with his skill set and as much, much as he's learned, as much as he's improved from year one to year two, as I've seen, I think he's got to get out of it. Interesting. Very good. Uh, appreciate that uh, little scouting report on him, and we'll uh, uh, hope to see him uh, shine a little bit when he gets his opportunity here in Cleveland. Uh, finishing things up here today, and you've been fantastic, Shane. Uh, the Browns are in a uh, in a weird situation with Olivier Vernon, where they they owe him fifteen point five. There's been talk of restructuring that, uh, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's all it's paid out to him, right? Like the money, there's no dead money there. So he he's you know if they keep him, they keep him. Uh, and, and and then the money's off the books, which is what you want because you're going to have to start paying guys next year like Garrett and everybody, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, that's what you want there. But at the same time, if you had to cut him and maybe go after a clowny, which they've been rumored to be interested in, who 
uh, could be, you know, uh, supposedly dropped his asking price from $20 million down to like 17 or $18 million. So if, they, if they've cut Vernon, uh, got rid of that money, and then went after Clowney, uh, that's what a lot of people are rumoring that they potentially could do, but they can't get their hands on Clowney to, uh, you know, make sure that he's healthy. Um, which is difficult. Another issue teams are running into during this COVID-19 stuff. Um, so that, that's a tough one. I don't think they do spend that kind of money until you get right. a trainer's hands on him, right? So I, I don't know. I'm almost at this point fine with them just keeping Vernon. I, I, I feel like, yes, he was zinged up. He missed games, but when he was on the field, he played well. Um, if, and even more so if they could restructure that contract a little bit, that'd be fantastic. But it doesn't really matter. It's coming off the books anyway. Uh, so, you know, I guess my thought, my question for you is, do you think that Clowney is, is that much better than Vernon? Their numbers are very similar. They both had three sacks. They both have missed games due to injury. You know, Clowney, we know, is a good player, but his time has, at times has been underwhelming as well. Well, I mean, it wouldn't make much sense, personally, if you asked me to sign Clowney and also cut Vernon, just because Vernon's predominantly a uh, left side end, and, and sorry, as Vernon's a left side end, and Clowney plays strongly on the right side. So basically, you have Clowney and Garrett, one of them is going to play on the, light, on the left side, and that's at their dominant spot. Also, if you cut uh, Vernon, he, he's a $15.5 million cap hit. And also, mm-hmm. and even and even though Clowney has uh, brought his asking price down from 20 mil to reportedly 15 to 17 mil for a one-year prove-it deal, you know that's that's still too much cash there. If you're eating up for 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 getting rid of one player, bringing in one player for one year, that just doesn't make much sense as far as business goes. You know, and also as far as like production goes, I want to defend Klein here for a second. His, his production has gone down like last year, but also he was hurt. And two, if you look if you look at uh, ESPN analysis page. He was the third most doubled edge rusher in the league. So he was getting double teamed like uh, third most times out of anybody else in the league. So it's, so he probably draws more attention, which caused the the rest of Seattle where he played, the rest of their defenders to make plays. He caught he all he's also like uh, more more uh, more productive in the run game than anything else. Anyway, he has had mm-hmm. I believe somewhere close to I think close to fifty tackles for loss in the last three or four seasons combined. So his his sacks they're not, they're not amazing numbers they're not JJ Watt you know a Von Miller type number but he's he's very much able to get back there but he he draws so much attention for his power and speed that that it'd be worth taking a shot on him maybe not the Browns I don't think I think the fit makes sense but I but I but I do think that teams that they have the chance to if they have the chance to they have the ability to and the money to should go after him at least for one year. Yeah, he uh, um, I would agree with you wholeheartedly that he is uh his sack numbers aren't fair because he's more he's so disruptive, right? Like his mm-hmm. game is just, just blowing up play. Sometimes, you know, with Seattle he'll he'll just get in the backfield and just ruin a play and it doesn't show up on the on the on the stat sheet, right? And he's very disruptive that way. Um and I would agree with you there that that a lot of that doesn't show up stat-wise, but certainly is uh, worthwhile on your defense as a disruptor more of. Uh, um, I thought he played well for Seattle when he was healthy, so certainly, yeah. Uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that, you know. Um, uh, it's, it's a weird situation money-wise, so it, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that shakes out. Uh, last question for you, Shane, uh, and uh, we'll let you go here. And this is a uh, uh, just got to get your opinion. Uniform mm-hmm. reveal. Have you seen the Atlanta Falcons uniform reveal? Yeah, um, I went Sorry. to Texas Tech. I went to Texas Tech. They stole that. They stole it. Yeah, they stole it from Texas Tech. But you didn't okay. from me. Okay. All right. I don't like them. I don't like Atlanta. Yeah, that 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 uniform is the epitome of twenty-eight to three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, Tampa Bay. What do you think of Tampa Bay? Tampa Bay look like they try to go back to more like what they used to look like with the red and brown. 
Super and it looks a lot more. It looks a lot more smooth, I guess. Yeah, and they they didn't they didn't try to overdo it like they did with his last uniforms that they had with the orange stripe in the pants, which was unnecessary. Yeah, and they try they try and brought it back to to where they used to be in the late nineties through the two thousands uniforms, but also like have a newer look to it. And I agree. I thought, and I even though it wasn't clean. It, it wasn't flashy, but it it definitely looked a lot better. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I like the I, I uh, actually and. Some people don't like them, but I like the all pewter uh, uniform or the all gray one. I think that shirt. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I had to get your thoughts on those because we're waiting anxiously for our Browns uniform reveal. So hoping that they go back to uh, the basics a little bit and back to uh, uh, what has worked in the past and just kind of clean it up a little bit, you know. You you want the regular orange helmet, the brown pants, white jersey kind of thing? Yeah, basically like uh, Metcalf uh, type, uh, you know, what they wore then. I like those. The white on white I think is nice. Uh, and, of course, you can do some things to modernize it a little bit, right? Uh, but, but I, I think you uh... – I think what you do is you keep you can go back to old uniforms, but keep the Browns helmet the way it is now with no stripe going down the middle. I like the I like the all orange look. I do too. I do too. I actually do too. You know, because in camp they say you got to ruin your stripes or whatever, so they wear the all it, orange. It look it look better. It look better. It does look better. The all orange does look better. That's that's uh, that's interesting. I don't think they'll ever do that, unfortunately. But I do think it is sharp with the all orange. I would agree, sir. Shane Carter writes for InsideTheStar.com. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Shane Carter TX. Uh, you have been a pleasure, fantastic uh, knowledge and uh, insight today, and uh, a pleasure to have on the show, Shane. Hopefully, we can do it again soon here, maybe after the draft. Sounds good, man. Ain't no problem with that. All right, man. Hey, uh, keep uh, keep safe. Uh, keep them hands clean and uh, uh, best of luck with everything man and thank you again for coming on the show Great job there by Shane Carter as he joins us on the All Eyes on Cleveland podcast. Make sure you go check out the show uh, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Uh, all platforms will have it. You can also go to the website alleyesoncleveland.com and check it out at uh, USA Today Sports Media Group's thebrownswire.com tomorrow. Uh, Shane Carter getting into the, uh, we got into the, uh, um, jerseys there at the end, as I talked about at the top of the show with the reveal. Don't like the Atlanta ones, thought that, uh, Tampa Bay did a great job on theirs, uh, this year, especially enjoyed the, uh, the gray on gray, me personally. Um, and then, uh, we talked about the hints, uh, uh, that the Browns threw out earlier here in the show uh, with uh, today uh, on on uh, Twitter, sending out the um, uh, the orange, and then if you take it second by second through, you can see some of the older players: Metcalf, Webster, Slaughter, Jim Brown, Clay Matthews, the ones that I identified uh, in the, those jerseys. Then, interesting point from Shane. Do you like the all orange, no stripes? I have always kind of been fond of the all orange uh, hat. Um, something to think about. I don't know if they would ever do that traditionally, but uh, I'm a f- I am like it in the preseason and in camp and the past couple years when they've worn just the... Uh, um the all orange hat and even in preseason games i think the the unis as a whole look better with the all orange cap 
with that, uh, we had some uh, breaking news actually during the interview. So let's uh, get you that information. Yeah, so uh, they're uh, Brandon Cooks on the move again, uh, going to be traded to the Houston Texans. So Brandon Cooks gets traded to the Houston Texans. Uh, they trade Cooks and a 2022 fourth rounder, uh, and the Rams will get back uh, the Texans 2020 second round pick. So this year's second round pick. Uh, so Cooks. Began his career three years in New Orleans, one in New England, now two in uh, with the Rams. Uh, and his besides his rookie year, his worst season last season in fourteen games, only forty two receptions, five hundred and eighty three yards, uh, two touchdowns. His best year. Uh, was his second year in New Orleans where he went for uh, 1,100 uh, and nine touchdowns, followed that up with uh, another 1,100 and eight touchdowns, uh, and then in New England did just about the same with seven touchdowns, uh, 1,205 touchdowns in 2018 for the Rams, then fell off uh, a little bit last year, uh, and now Houston, after uh, trading uh, their top threat at wide receiver will bring in Brandon Cooks to fill his role. So the uh, beat goes on over there with their kind of uh, madness, uh, it, you know, uh, at GM there with their head coach. So Houston bringing in Brandon Cooks. Uh, he's been on the move a lot over these past few years. Uh, I don't know what you can, you know, pull away from that. Certainly something there uh, for him to be on the move so much. Uh, mentioned the jersey reveal. Mentioned the the only other thing I want to mention about the jersey reveal here, and we'll get up out of here uh, uh, on tonight's show. Uh, we've got I've got a lot more here coming out in the next couple days so uh, I want to save some of this material for that but we have um, you know uh, the versions of the jerseys that we're going to see for the Browns We, if you glean anything from what you've heard um, it, it sounds like they're going back to, to what everybody likes but I still would like to see I don't want to straight go back to that, right? You still would like to see like a a newer version of that or a cleaner version of that, you know, whatever uh, the creators can come up with with the opportunity to kind of change these around. They should come out looking very close to the older jerseys, but... Uh, cleaner, nicer, crisper uh, versions of uh, those jerseys. So that's kind of my final thoughts on that. Uh, we're going to have a show here uh, again, another one in the next 24 hours uh, with Bryce Huff. We talked about that NFL draft prospect interviewing him. We're going to talk about Clowney and the market there with the Browns. Uh, we're going to talk about um, Tua. Uh, we're going to talk about the Bengals a little bit and what uh, is going on up there. Some rumors uh, right about the Dolphins potentially looking to uh, maybe look to try to get Joe Burrow um, so we've got some things there uh, to discuss. We'll hit those as usual. Thank you for listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Big thanks to Shane Carter of Inside the Star for coming on the show. Uh, good shout-out to Mikey uh, behind the glass on the ones and twos, and thank you for listening. This has been another episode of All Eyes on Cleveland. We are out.